Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. You can learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us on Sunday mornings at El Dorado High School in the Performing Arts Center at 9 and 11 a.m. That's right. What's the date today? What is the date? What is it? What's the date? Bob, put it up there. Dueyce Nueve de Marzo. Now, if you forgot, you've got like two hours to go back home, to change into appropriate attire, to come back about 12.45-ish, and to join us for a Mexican fiesta. Now, this fiesta uh, will include piñatas, Mexican bingo, a walking piñata in the form of David Robles, bounce houses for the adults, uh, crossword puzzles for the kids, I don't know, um, no, but we'll, uh, we'll have a lot of fun. So if you want to come back after this, we will have lunch for you at 1245. Make sense? And we're doing this because uh, Cinco de Mayo is too far away. So we were going to do it on Cinco de Marzo, which we thought was kind of cool, a little tie-in, and it rained. So uh, it's now Doce Nueve de Marzo. Welcome. Good morning. How are you? Oh, boy. All right, still, still, still fighting the time change, evidently. Hello, 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 Williamses. Just holding down the back right there. Guys, good morning. My name is Mike, and this is not normally something I wear. I will save it, however, and just to, as a reminder of what day it is today. Good morning. So, a couple of things. Number one, um, Easter. It's coming. We're going to have our first Easter services here, and we're doing uh, baptisms. Those will be our first baptisms as well. So if you're interested, sign up at voxoc.com slash baptisms. And, um, and so we're going to do baptisms as part of our service, though because food and drink are not allowed in here, um, we'll do them outside. So it'll be glorious. Um, also, uh, we are meeting in groups all over Orange County and things called table fellowships, which are just meals at people's homes. And uh, you can sign up at voxoc.com for that, as well as something called a new to Vox dinner uh, that's coming up, which is over at our house. Um, and we'll just tell you a little bit more about what the heck this community is all about. All right, make sense? Are you guys in a good mood? Row, row of ladies and a lucky guy. You good? We're good. You guys good? Everyone okay? Okay. I mean, I'm just, I'm just checking. You guys seem a little, little sparse, a little, little tired. So let's do a little Q&A, guys. You guys write some wacky questions in. Um, we're a community founded on the idea that uh, we want to be a safe place to talk about anything and, um, and so we highly encourage doubt and skepticism and curiosity. Many of you text in questions that are so big that we cannot fit them on our screens, and so we, we keep a list of all those that we're trying to figure out how to get to. We're, we're starting to do questions on Facebook Live after we record our, our podcast on Thursday, so that's one of the ways we'll be getting to some of your questions. Today we'll just do uh, ones that are relatively short. All right, so here we go. That's the number to text in your questions. So a couple things. I've watched a ton of documentaries, and this is always how those crazy cults start. 
That's funny. A place to belong turns into everyone quitting their jobs, selling their houses, and moving to Jonestown. Perfect. Next. I've been involved in a number of cults, both as a leader and a follower. You have more fun as a follower. Bummer. But you make more money as a leader. Okay, so, so what was supposed to happen there is that was supposed to have sound. And you guys know The Office, right? So that's a guy named Creed who just in this weird cutaway said, you know, I've been a part of a lot of cults. Um, you have more fun if you're a follower, but the money's better if you're a leader. So that was, that was supposed to be a... Okay, back to the question. Good try. We, we, gave, that a, we gave that a shot. All right, so, uh, so a place to belong to... I've been involved in a number of cults, both as a leader and a follower. You have more fun as a follower, but you make more money as a leader. There you go. Next. <laughs> it's a tight ship, you guys. It is a tight ship. Also, it doesn't help that you literally ask us to drink the Kool-Aid at every service. How can, I sure, how can I be sure I shouldn't be scared? Thanks. Okay, first of all, I have no idea if you're serious. So, secondly, secondly, uh, I want to... I wanna, I want to reassure you that we're not a cult by introducing a couple of initiatives, all right? Uh, first of all, we're going to start arranging marriages um, for, for people here. Secondly, we're going to ask that you no longer speak to your family. Um, uh, thirdly, um, we would like 10% of all that you own donated every week, okay? Sound good? Does that, does that reassure you? Okay, I don't even know what to do with that. All right, next, the cool, drink the Kool-Aid. Uh, so we have a group of people called Community Pastors. Do we have women as Community Pastors? Yeah, a bunch. So we're, we're a community that believes that women should teach and lead in, in every area of the church. So, of course, we have women as Community Pastors. Next. Is it wrong to take the wine glass and sip from it when accepting the, the blood? I noticed that people at this church were dipping the bread into the wine and then eating it after. So, so, so this is funny. Um, so typically the way we do communion is you take a piece of bread, you dip it into the cup, and you eat it. Now, from other traditions, you actually drink it. And what's funny is if somebody is behind the person that drinks it, they usually go to an entirely different line. So though, of course it's not wrong to do that at all. I think people are more germaphobic than they've ever been. And so uh, if, you want to take a, if you want to take the wine glass and sip it, okay, just realize you may have just, you might as well finish it because I don't, there are people behind you that aren't probably going to join you in that sipping. So um, it, it really, there, there's nothing about the symbolism uh, that would make that wrong at all. It's just more for hygiene that we do that uh, rather than anything else. And then lastly, hello, do you get called a heretic a lot? Um, not to my face. Uh, anything that involves hair, I, I'm very fond of. So, no, uh, no, I don't actually, I don't think I get called a heretic a lot. Is that the last question? Ah, here we go. Well, kind of a weird selection of questions today, wouldn't you agree? Hi, Mike. A while back, one of your podcasts dealt with collectivism, and that's the idea that the, your identity as part of a group is more important than your identity as an individual. 
A while back, one of your podcasts dealt with collectivism and the idea that with cultural context, the story of the Bible and salvation was that God was interested in saving groups as opposed to individuals. Next. Your most recent conclusion to the Hell series still highlighted the focus on individuals having a posture towards Jesus to then be brought in from outside the city. These two ideas don't seem to be compatible. Which one is it? Now, first of all, don't ever, don't ever question when I contradict myself, okay? Please don't ever do that. One of the sure signs we're not a cult is um, that doubt is squashed, okay? So please don't ever ask questions. Um, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. So, so collectivism doesn't mean that individuals aren't important and that their decisions aren't important. Collectivism just refers to the idea that in the ancient Near East, your primary source of identity was how the group saw you and your participation in the group rather than just you as your own person by yourself. In the scriptures, however, even though you're part of a group, simply being a part of a group doesn't entitle you. This is the big news that was given to the Jewish nation. Just because you are sons of Abraham doesn't mean now you're part of God's redeemed people because that redeemed people is now being formed around Jesus. So, so yes, your identity is part of a group, true, but you still individually have to decide for yourself whether or not this Jesus is for you. So, so collectivism does not negate individual decision. It just redefines what, what part of identity is most important, namely the group or the individual person. Um, and we always say that in the ancient Near East, in the biblical worldview, your identity as part of a group is most significant. So I think those are the questions. Hallelujah. Call me a heretic. That's just fine. Today, we are going to dive into the text together. And uh, what we've been doing, um, uh, we want to spend a little time uh, defining and reminding um, our crew who we are and what we're about a little bit. So we were a community built on three convictions. Um, the, the church should be the safest place to talk about anything. That's why we do Q&A. That's why we tell stories. Um, the church should be the place where the next generation is intentionally engaged. Uh, and, um, and then today we want to look at the idea that the church, the posture of the church is to love and serve the world, not sit in judgment of it. Now we're going through these because they affect how we do everything and why we do the things that we do. And we felt like, okay, we've been around almost a year, so it seems like a good idea to get into this. So uh, if you have a Bible... Uh, I'm going to invite you to go to the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 28, a very famous passage. Before we get there, though, I want to do a bit of background. Hello. Good morning. Oh, man, I got to carry this. I feel like I have to carry the energy in this room right now, right now, which you know what? Thank you, Lexi. I can do. I can do that. Now, uh, my brothers and my sisters, one of the very interesting and weird things in the Bible is that when God decides to save the world, Genesis 1 and 2, he creates the world and everything in it, he declares it to be good, he nestles human persons in this garden called Eden, it's beautiful, it's filled with shalom. Then in Genesis 3 through 11, sin and death enter the world and the ripples of rebellion kind of... Um, kind of go throughout the surface of the world. So you've got the first murder, and you've got, uh, you've got infidelity, you've got arrogance, you've just got all this carnage. And then God decides, okay, 
Let's kick in the cosmic rescue operation. And he does it in kind of a weird way. Right? So the first glimpse we get of the cosmic rescue operation is in Genesis 12. Go ahead and put that up there. Where God calls a man named Abram. He says, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into, whoa, a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a what? A blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God's way of saving the universe after it's fallen into sin and death is to form a human community. Right? Don't miss the significance of this. And this human community was going to be formed around Abram and his wife Sarah, and it was going to give birth to a nation that would bring blessing to the world. Now, later in the biblical story, in the book of Exodus, they get a bit of a clearer job description. Next slide. God says to them through Moses, he says, You yourselves, Israel, have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me, what's it say? A kingdom of and a holy nation. So, these two phrases, kingdom of priests and holy nation, this was Israel's job description. Israel was to be for the world what Israel's priests were to be for Israel itself. In other words, the whole nation of Israel, the point of the nation of Israel was to reflect God and who God is and what God is like to the nations and, and to serve as priests, representatives of God to the nations. Right? Priests in, in those days st stood between the people and the deity Israel was to be that people, and they were to do it by being holy. They were to do it by being set apart. They were to do it by being distinct. So how does God save the world? God forms a community of people who are separate from the nations but live in the midst of them in order to bring blessing to them. Does this make sense? Does this make sense? Does this make dollars in sense? Yes, right? Or, or for instance, uh, this is how Moses says it in Deuteronomy. See, I've taught you the decrees and the laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the who? To the nations who will hear about this law that you're given and will say, surely this is a great nation. It's wise. It has understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord is near them? In other words... God rescues the world by pulling together a, a crew, a community of human persons, and he gives them a job description. You are to be on display so the nations can watch you and see how good it is to live under my kingship. And in so doing, you're separate and distinct, and you serve as priests to the rest of the world. Okay, makes sense so far? Jet tour, makes sense so far? How successful was Israel at this? Not at all. They became part of the darkness. Instead of being a light to the world, they became part of the darkness. So here comes Jesus of Nazareth. And what's the first thing Jesus does? What's the first thing he does? He pulls together a what? A posse. We'll, we'll use the little more um, biblical word, a band of disciples. 
Posse of disciples, sure. What's the first thing he does? He builds a community around himself, correct? 12 and then 72. And then what Jesus does is he gives them a job description. And so that's where we click in a bit to the story. Oh, is that, is that funny? Is that, the, is that the wind? That's got to be bugging you guys, right? No? Oh, it's not? Okay. All right. All right. Well, it's white noise. It helps me sleep. <laughs> we want to we create the most conducive rest environment here at Vox Community. <laughs> All right, so let's go to the end of the book of Matthew. Jesus pulls around himself a community, and shockingly, he gives them a job description. Matthew 28, verse 18 then Jesus came to his disciples and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is, this is straight from Deuteronomy and Daniel. Therefore, go and make disciples of what? All the nations. That's Genesis, that's Genesis 12 right there. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely... Don't call me Shirley. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Right? This is something called the Great Commission. It's so familiar we don't pay any attention to it any longer. But the last thing that Jesus says is he says, okay, guys, in the same way Israel had this job description, here's yours. As you're going throughout the nations, make apprentices of, me, of mine, baptizing them into the reality of the Trinity and teaching them how good it is to live with Jesus as Lord. Same job description given now to this thing called the church. Or let's go to the book of uh, Mark, the next gospel, next biography of Jesus over. Gee, I wonder if there'll be a commission there. Hmm. Hmm. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. This is part of a, this is part of a passage that could have been added later. A lot of our earliest manuscripts don't have this section, so sometimes in your Bibles it'll be marked off. But it's interesting that, that even if it was added later, they still felt like they had to put a commission here. Notice uh, Mark 16, verse 15. Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Or go to the book of Luke. I wonder where this is going. Hmm, wonder how Luke ends. Luke chapter 24. So how does God save the world? He forms a human community. He gives them a job description to be on display so that people could see how good it is to live under the kingship of God. Sweet, Jesus shows up and he does the exact same thing. Pulls together a human community and then he gives them work to do. Luke 24, verse uh, 45, right at the very end of the book. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He said, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in the name, excuse me, (laughs) and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. See, three times all nations is mentioned. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you the Spirit, what my Father has promised, but say in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. 
right? Let's go to the book of John. One more. There's only four, so you know this will end shortly. John chapter 20. I wonder if there's a commission here. Hmm. Hmm, I wonder. This today, this message is sponsored by the letter O for obvious. John chapter 20, verse 21. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. And then notice, oh my goodness, this line. As the Father sent me, so I send you. How was Jesus sent? Jesus was sent to love. Jesus was sent to serve. Jesus was sent to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was sent to seek and save the lost. Jesus was sent humbly. Jesus was sent, right, without glory. Jesus was sent beautifully and majestically. I mean, it, like, it's, it's not just enough to do, like, like, you're picketing, and here's this big sign that says, turn or burn. It's that, and it's, that's not doing the work of Jesus. Doing the work of Jesus is doing Jesus' work Jesus' way. And Jesus didn't do stuff like that, correct? Oh, nine, I love you, I adore you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Go to the book of Acts. Last one. I snuck one in there. I wonder if there's a commission here. Acts chapter 1, <laughs> verse, I was gonna, hello, Acts chapter 1, verse uh, 7. It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to where? To the ends of the earth. Now, Jet Tour, sponsored by the letter O for obvious. Does it seem like Jesus had an opinion about what his church should be like? What do you think? And, and does it seem like Jesus was fairly specific in what his church ought to be about? My, you guys are killing me. Now, either you're bored to death, which I don't blame you. The white noise is putting you to sleep. I don't blame you there either. You're, you're struck into silence because of the sheer genius, which I don't think is probably happening. No, shut up. That's mercy. That's all mercy clap. That doesn't count. That's mercy clap. That's like, oh, look at the little kid who can't sing but is giving it his best effort. That's what that was. I don't receive that. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, and I know, I know this is obvious. I'm trying to be playful in the midst of it. But, but when you talk about what the church is to be, it is so unbelievably clear. And it's so clear that we acknowledge this point and then move on. The church never was to exist for itself, ever. The point of the church is not the church. The good news of the church isn't about how great church is. The church isn't supposed to advertise. The church isn't supposed to win people to the church or make people disciples of the church. Right? The church is a means to an end. What's the end? 
witnessing to the reality of the resurrected Jesus and demonstrating the freedom that comes from being his disciple. End of story. What we have done with this is we've turned it into an event that we use consumer models <laughs> uh, to, to, uh, to create, and we evaluate it in consumeristic ways, right? We evaluate a church service just like we would evaluate a movie. Did I like it? Was it moving? Was it funny? Right? We just, I mean, it's the absolute most absurd thing on the planet. And we, Christians, have turned church about us when the church is the only organization that exists for the sake of the people who are not here. That's what you sign up for when you sign up for this thing. And it doesn't matter if you like the worship, and it doesn't matter if you like the teaching, and it doesn't matter if you like it, because it's not for you. It's first for Jesus, but it's secondly for the world. We exist and have been called out of human history for the sake of the nations. That's what we do here. This is a staff meeting, right? We gather and we're healed so that we go be healers, right? We're taught so that we can go be teachers. We practice forgiveness so that we can go be forgivers. It's all instrumental. None of it stops with you. And, and the, the American church has become so twisted upon itself because it's lost its very simple prime directive. We exist not for our own comfort, our own convenience. We exist for nothing other than to witness to the nations about the beauty and the goodness of who Jesus of Nazareth is. That's it. Part of what we do here is a testimony to that witness, but it also should be equipping us for that witness. So I, point number one, out of just this little jet tour, the church doesn't exist for itself. It's in the world for the world. End of story. And how you evaluate a church is entirely based upon how prepared you are to engage the world around you by participating in it. Are you more mature? Are you more loving? Are you more prepared? Are you more inspired? I mean, that's what we're getting at. You don't evaluate, I mean, if you really wanted to evaluate a church, I'll tell you what you do. Instead of talking about whether or not the person up front did a good job, I want to stand at that door and ask how you did this week. So how were you as a, an ambassador of reconciliation? How were you as a peacemaker? How were you as someone bearing the fruit of the Spirit? How were you as a witness? How were you? How'd you do? Right? That's a better picture of a church than... Just how did somebody do up here? Obviously, people, anybody can get up here and, and put two sentences together that sound relatively compelling, right? Yes. You just go on to freesermons.com on Saturday and just memorize some stuff and it's all good. I learned that long ago. But what I'm compelled by is recapturing a vision of the community that sees itself as a group of sent people. And of course, we're not perfect. That's the beauty of it. How does God save the world? By pulling together screw-ups and outcasts and misfits and somehow, in his majesty, filling that community so there's something distinct about it and so that a bunch of imperfect people can simply say, oh yeah, Jesus gets the credit for this because we're all messed up. That's what the church is to be like. Next slide. The church exists in the world for the world. Now, everyone will agree with that, 
But what is the primary question people ask when they engage in a church community for the first time? What's in it for me? What programs do you have, right? And, and those are fine questions. I'm, of course, check theology. Of course, we don't want to drink the Kool-Aid. Of course, I get it, absolutely. All of that's important. But it so easily gets, from that point, it gets easily turned into preference and entitlement. And we lose sight of the fact that this thing isn't for us. Next. And this is the big one we sit on. The church exists to love and serve the world, not to sit in judgment of it. Who did Jesus judge? Israel. He didn't go cleaning out Roman temples. He judged the people of God first. So Paul says very clearly, when he's dealing with a case of huge and flagrant sexual morality in the church, he says, who am I to judge those outside the church? I judge those inside. Right? And we made this point in our whole hell judgment series, right? The people of God are the ones that God examines first. And so the early church was instructed to be people of such goodwill in the community, even though they were being lied about, even though they were being persecuted. Next slide. So Jesus will say something like, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Or next. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Now that's the opposite of social media in the 21st century. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. Or next, this, this is the one I love most. Live such good lives among the pagans, just among those that aren't God-fearers. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That's the job description, my brothers and my sisters. Right? And we have entire cottage industries in the name of Jesus who sit in judgment of the world. Correct? Here are the good guys, here are the bad guys. And we wrap it up in, the, in political militarism, and we wrap it up in a nationalism, and you can dress it up in politics, and it doesn't matter, but that's what it amounts to. When people think of Christians, they think of boycott and bash and judge and condemn. And when people thought of Jesus, they thought of things like love and holiness and grace and mercy, compassion, Right? Just ask all your non-Christian friends, what do you think of when you think of evangelical Christians? And they're going to give you a political description, or they're going to give you the, a, a, an essay on hypocrisy, but love and compassion are not going to be top five on the list. Why? Well, because we think we're the point, and being right is more important than being loving. And so what you have in Jesus as he pulls together a church community as he pulls together a community for the sake of the nations, there to be a blessing machine for the nations. You're, imagine a world where you want to work with Christians because they're the best workers. You want to be taught by a Christian because they're the best teachers. You want, you want to be legally defended by a Christian because they're the best lawyers. They're the most integrity, they're the most joyful, they're the most inclusive, they're the most compassionate people. I mean, just imagine that. This is what we want to recapture. The posture of the church is one of love and service. I, I sometimes wonder, and I know this is so dumb, I sometimes wonder if we just said, okay, let's, let's take a year sabbatical 
and make no judgment about the world. And let's, all Christians everywhere, let's give up, let's give up porn, and let's give up drugs, and let's give up alcohol, and let's all stay married. Just all stay married. If you're married, let's just stay married for a year. Every church foster adopt a kid. Take like 3% of your income and give it away. Right? Just, it took all that angst and energy about driving at the world, and let's just focus it inward a little bit. What, what, what effect do you think that would have on what society's like? Do you think there'd be ripples? Oh my goodness. But we spend all this time and all this energy standing in condemnation and expecting people who haven't said yes to Jesus to act like they have. My brothers and my sisters, let's expect insiders to act like insiders and outsiders to act like outsiders. Let's just expect disciples to act like disciples and non-disciples to not act like disciples. Let's take all the angst about, oh, it's just going crazy out there and work on your own marriage or the sin that so easily entangles you, right? See, this is why, look at me, look at me. This is why we don't have a bunch of church programs. People bug us all the time, well, where are the Bible studies and where are the things and where are the this? And we're like, nope, we're not, we do none of it. None. Do you know why? Why would we pull you out of the vast ministry field you're sitting in to go do more church stuff? The vast majority of you don't need more Bible study, you need more Bible practice. Right? We can debate about predestination. Now, how about you lo- learn to love your enemy first? We're not going to build a whole bunch of stuff in the name of church. We do this, we do table fellowships, okay, and we have a fiesta. But that's all we got. And that's all we're ever going to have. Why? Because we want you to be great citizens and neighbors and families and friends. We're never going to do a Halloween alternative. Why? Because I want you in your neighborhood. Right? We're never going to have church on Christmas. Why? Be with your families. I mean, are you getting a snapshot, a little bit of what we're dreaming about? We're just dreaming of a few people, some Jedi Knights, some special ops, who come here and use this place to become better ministers out there. See, in a lot of communities... The most faithful people are the people that are at every church function. Our vision is that the most faithful people are people you never see because they're doing it. They're the people that have decided, oh, heck with your table fellowship, so I'm opening up my home to my neighbors. Heck with your service. We'll just live stream the service and I've got 10 friends and we're going to watch. Love that. So brothers and sisters, I, you know, I wish I had some killer conclusion with three points of application. (laughs) But these things are more just gut level, like I so would kill, not kill, literally. (laughs) I was so would metaphorically kill for (laughs) to be someone like this and to have a community that has so shifted its orientation away from whether or not it's entertaining and exciting to whether or not it's equipping and maturing. 
And if you, if you come here for a year and you're not more loving, we failed you. If you come here for a year and you're not more inspired to serve and love your neighbors, we failed you. If you come here for a year and you're not more involved, neck deep in loving people who aren't like you, then we failed you. Doesn't matter how great the program is. This is what we're after. So we engage in corporate disciplines to shape us. We engage in disciplines all the time to help shape us. One of those is worship, singing. We don't do this to fill time. We do this to take our lips that have been saying all kinds of things to now direct them to God, to take our bodies that have been doing all kinds of things and direct them to God, to take our minds which have been thinking all kinds of things and direct them to God. And so in response to this, we're going to do some singing and we're going to, we've got a, a story to share and the Lord's Supper to take. But this morning, I, I want us just to get a glimpse of what God intended for this whole thing. A community of people called out of the world for its sake. This is our friend Caleb. Say hello. Caleb's been with us before. This is the 9 o'clock service. They're very excited today. Oh, you got a tune? I got to keep talking? All right. So let me pray. And uh, I'll do a long prayer so that Caleb can tune his guitar. Lord Jesus, we bless you and we love you, and we desperately want to be good news people. We want, I, I would love, I want to have a reputation as somebody who is an agent of blessing, and that this community would be a community of agents of blessing. And God, that you would capture us again and again with the vision you originally had for why it is you created this thing called the church. So we love you and we bless you in the name of Jesus and bless Caleb right now. Amen. So I want to introduce to you my friend Sarah. Sarah, come on out. Say hello to Sarah. Hi, Caleb. Bye, Caleb. You're gonna be you're gonna be right here? Oh, you gotta tune again? Okay, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Hi Sarah. Hi. How are you? Good. Say hello to nine o'clock. Hi, nine o'clock. It's so much easier to do this when I can't see your faces. <laughs> <laughs> Take it away. Oh yeah. My name is um, Sarah and I serve in the nursery holding your babies. My son or my husband John is on the cleanup crew. We've been married about thirty-two years. He also helps build your um, prayer boards, and these were on my front driveway this week, and they yes. look fabulous now. He's only one of, yes. a, of a team. Yes. <clears throat> I am a school administrator. I'm an adjunct professor at Biola, and I struggle with one of the core tenets of Vox, which is extending love and grace. And I have no problem. <laughs> well, we can separate here. I have, <laughs> I have no problem extending love and grace to those that are in agreement with me or alignment with me, who are pleasant and kind. But for those that disagree with things that are important to me or who are unkind or, if I can use the term, unlovable, that's where I struggle. You're the only one. You the, are only the only one. one. <laughs> Two years ago, as a school administrator, I had to make a hard decision for my school site, and 99% of the staff was in favor of that, and they were supportive, and we're on board, Sarah, let's go. Two staff members were not so um, agreeable, and for a full 10 months, they let me know that they were not going to support me, that they were not going to um, support my leadership. 
that they were going to disagree with almost everything I did, and it became a point of frustration for me. And then, as I saw their negativity on campus, it became a point of anger, and then ultimately harboring bitterness. And that is in such contradiction to who I am as a believer. And so I'm kind of a slow learner, I guess, in this. And so it took me about eight or nine months as I struggled with um, dying to self. And that word dying means there is pain involved, a spiritual and emotional pain of giving up my right to be angry and my right to be bitter. And so it became a daily process for me to confess my sin and pray that God would fill me with love and then pray for them, which is very hard to pray for your adversaries, and then to find opportunities during the day to extend love and kindness. And if I only saw them once a month, I think it would have been a lot easier, but seeing these people on a daily basis made it um, just a, a bigger problem for me. But God is gracious and patient with me, And it got to the point where the love and kindness that I needed to extend was the forefront of my relationship with them. And those things that bothered me um, and that I found um, toxic became peripheral issues and not my focus. And I wish I could say this ends in a Hallmark story where they came and we had restoration and relationships, but we didn't. But it wasn't really about me and them. It was about me and the Lord. We came to Vox in May. And um, in June, my daughter disclosed that she was in a relationship with a female. And the pain that my husband and I went through and the tears and the prayer and the tears and the prayer and the tears and the prayer and then coming on Sundays and listening to Mike and Andy talk about love and extend grace and safe to belong, safe to belong in our own family, that should be central. And so... Monday through Saturday, we wrestled, what does it look like to extend and love, extend love and grace to our daughter and her partner when we disagree? And after about three months, the Lord really brought us to a point where once again, love and grace was at the core of the relationship, and those disagreements become peripheral issues that really don't even need to be addressed. So what I extend to you is, if you harbor those bitterness, there is hope that God can bring restoration. And if you have those barriers and relationships, like in family, there is hope. And we started with Table Fellowship. <laughs> and we invited my daughter and her partner to join us for dinner, which turned into many dinners and holidays and a winter vacation together. And now our family looks different, and that's okay, because we are learning to love and extend grace, even when it's difficult. Amen. Oh, my goodness. Sarah. Oh, thank you. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, learning to love, man. Dang. Dang. So um, we have have several kinds of folks in the Vox community. We have folks who come from a long history of uh, following Jesus. And, um, and we have folks that are relatively new. We have folks that have walked away from the church for some of these reasons. We have folks that are just now coming back. And um, the stories for me are always, I don't ever hear them ahead of time. They're always powerful for me because they just represent one of those groups. And uh, there is a de-churching, I think, that some of us have to undergo where the labels and the division and the judgment um, has to be brought again under Jesus. And so, so proud of her. 
My, my brothers and sisters, um, this is the most impar- important part of our time together. This is when we as a community respond. And um, we do that in a number of ways. We open up the tables. We have these tables around here and here, and gluten-free, of course, is over there, um, where you take the bread and you take the cup. And today, I want to encourage you. This is always open for everybody. There's no resume check. There's no, um, you know, have you, have you gotten cleaned up first? There's none of that. This is for unclean people with unclean slates. So we all are welcome. Um, but, but I want you to see it not only as something that Jesus has done for you personally, but I, I want you to see it as your job description. So when you're taking the bread and you're taking the cup, you're not only saying, God, I receive you again, and I, I love to stand in your grace and thank you for your forgiveness and restoration, but you're taking the bread and the cup as the miniature embodiment of how you're to spend your life, being broken and poured out for the sake of other people. So if you're, if you're a stay-at-home mom or dad and you're just literally wondering how in the world toddlers fit into the glorious economy of salvation, you're being poured out for the sake of others. If, if you're somebody stuck in cubicle land and this is not the career you wanted and there's no meaning and fulfillment and yet you are a person of integrity and yet people, you find yourself just on the receiving end of people just kind of sharing their problems and their lives with you and... and Take the bread and the cup today as you're being poured out and you're being broken for the sake of other people. Or you're just grinding through school and it's just a slog and you're like, what in the world? What does this have to do with anything? And yet, you have a crew of friends that are in the middle of such huge questions and you just find yourself as kind of one of the anchors in their life. When their family's not around them, you're being broken and poured out for the sake of others. So this isn't just what we receive, but it's then what we turn around and do that communion pictures for us. So come to the table. Also, there are these prayer shawls, and we did a teaching on this a couple of weeks ago, where the tassels uh, at the end of these prayer shawls were seen by some in Jesus' day as, as having healing. The Messiah would have healing in his wings, and we talked a bit about the woman that grabbed the edge of his cloak. There's no magic in these. There's no power in these things. But for some of us who are in the need, in need of healing, uh, I, I do this every week. I come up and I grab one of those tassels and I just go before the Lord as a, as a way to remind myself that he hears, he listens, and I ask for healing. People um, also take bits of parchment, parchment and they write prayer requests down. We're literally inundated with dozens and dozens of these. Our prayer teams are amazing. We pray like crazy over the things that you write down. So that's all at these stations. If you want someone to pray for you now, we'll have a couple of folks over near these doors who are just available to pray for you. Um, If you want a human voice uh, right now as opposed to just knowing you're being prayed for during the week. And then lastly, um, for those of you that participate financially here, agreed, I totally agree, I know. Um, we never want to be a community that hits people up for money. That's so much damage has been done in the Christian community uh, for that. Um, but we are incredibly supported by so many generous folks and who see this as an act of worship, as an act of trust, as an, a, a discipline that wars against consumerism. So if that's you, those participation boxes around the room. But this is our time 
to respond, to engage in whatever way, shape, or form you feel necessary. I want to pray for us, and then we'll be a community together. For me personally, this is my favorite time of the week, every week, to watch people, knowing some of your stories, approach the bread and the cup and to receive this Jesus yet again. So Lord Jesus, we bless you and we honor you. No matter if we feel far from you or feel close, if we consider ourselves one of your followers or not, whether we're learning, whether we're sleepy, (laughs) whether we're bored, Lord, we bring our real selves before you right now. And we realize in that realness we are loved. That realness is the realness that you're redeeming. So we don't pretend now. We don't act like we're more put together now. There's no deserving here. So we just come. And we praise you that you receive us. And so God, would you use the words that we sing, the bread and the cup that we partake in, the prayers that we pray, to form us and shape us into a community that loves like Sarah is learning to love and that gives itself away for the sake of the world. Use this now, Jesus, and walk among us, we pray. Amen. All right, everybody. Sorry about Caleb's guitar. We try to hire uh, professional musicians, but, you know, what can you do? (laughs) Heather, hello. Good morning. All right, everybody, would you stand up? Now, bless you. A couple of things coming up this week. Number one, if you are 18 to 26, raise your hands. Okay, perfect. Some of you are lying. 1826, um, we are having a table fellowship at my house in Brea, Vox World headquarters. Sign up online if you're interested in free food um, Thursday night. Uh, Also, uh, we have table fellowships going on all the time, so check those out. And then lastly, and most significantly, it's a fiesta. Now, I expect that some of you are going to go, you're going to go get some sort of substandard food, you're going to settle for a day of like watching NCAA basketball, Um, may the Lord bless you in that counterfeit endeavor while the rest of us are here celebrating the banquet of the Lamb while listening to mariachi music. So that is at 1230 or whatever. So uh, anything else? You guys okay? You made it? Okay. It's over? Okay. We'll clap for that. Hi, Hi, Lexi. You still tuning? All right, maybe by next service we'll have it ready. All right, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you, and may he give you peace in these days. Amen and amen. Say hello to somebody as you're leaving. Hello, hello, I'm just modeling. Hello. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.